my name is Robert Higgins. And I'm Kate Tuxford. And this is episode 32 of Screenwriting from the Trenches, a podcast about the craft and expression of screenwriting in all its forms from the perspective of writers just like you. This week, Kay and I are having a bit of a therapy session in a segment I hope will become one of our mainstays as this podcast goes on and on and on. But first, as always, what was screenwriting, Twitter, fighting slash talking about this week? Can Um, I do it? Yeah, go ahead. Screenwriting Twitter is a dumpster fire. And then we're going to like, Yeah, I didn't know you were going to do that. I thought you were going to go on with the segment. I wish I, uh-huh, I revoked I my consent. I got I revoked it my consent. Um, but okay. You can edit it out. Yeah. Um, I actually don't want to talk about Elon Musk. I feel like the more you say his name, the more powerful he becomes. He's like, I'm just over like you just. Yeah, I'm just over it. I, I am too. I, you know, th- we could talk about a lot of different things about Elon. Like, I, I think the biggest thing is like, you know, people were sort of dunking on him. It's like, what else could you have done with $44 billion? And the fact that he bought Twitter actually made the stock at Tesla go down. That was pretty funny. I mean, listen, this is just some rich person game. Um, I don't even know what Elon Musk's personal ideologies are um other than being like elon musk yeah i was gonna say i i don't i really know i don't particularly care but he just he has that there's a certain eccentricity uh that there is to billionaires that you're just like whoa you're not even living on our planet at all are you like you're living on he's already on mars yeah he's yeah um Jeff yeah, Bezos I mean, is the exact same way, and so is Bill Gates. Uh, I know a lot of people are like, you know, Bill Gates gives away. Oh, I'm like, he's still living on that planet, guys. He's still living on Planet Billionaire. And you can tell from the way that they talk, they're just like, wait, really? People care about that? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's so beneath my, you know, yeah. like, sphere of, of, of giving a shit. Um, <coughs> Hold on. Sorry. You can edit this out. <clears throat> K Tuxford got COVID uh, in Vegas last week. Uh, so I'm I'm home quarantined. This is what happens when you leave me, Kay. <laughs> uh, it was, uh, you know, we were masked up there and everybody was relatively safe. But, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't avoid it forever, I guess. And uh, a lot of people in Vegas were just masks. What the fuck are masks? And like, it was just chaos there. So I'm not surprised it happens. This is I what happens yeah. when you leave me. Yeah. Let this be a lesson to you. Um, Stay in your place on the podcast, Kay. I, if, if, if it can heal me of all things, <laughs> and then maybe I will. Uh, but I think you're going to have to like up your promises a little bit more. Not mm. just not COVID, but like, can we do some like cancer pre-screenings or something? I you guess. Know, like, uh, all right, like maybe know. some, you know, a blood test we'll work just, it in you know um, this is a yeah. uh, fledgling <laughs> enterprise you know it's it, it's coming around and you know eventually we'll be able to offer things like dental and you know that Ooh. kind of stuff you know we'll Ooh. have an intern just like everybody else you know it'll be fun <clears throat> it'll be fun that sounds great that yeah sounds, that's the dream uh the kind of things that elon musk does not offer uh they'll put it like that uh dental. so let's yeah. move on to um dr strange uh which everyone on twitter is talking about because dr strange and the multiverse of madness is coming out this week i have my tickets i will be going to see it at a at not a new alamo well, new to me alamo as rob continues his uh tour of the alamo draft houses one theater at a time and this will be the last alamo draft house in my immediate area that i have not visited. So I have my You'll all be happy to know I am not going to movie theater anytime soon. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, everybody. But rest assured, if you're sitting in a movie theater right now, you can be like, K-Tuck's were not here. Um, Phew. It's safe. I, I, you know, here's the thing. This thing has gotten so out of hand that people have forced me to defend studios which you know is not my thing you know i am no (laughs) fan of studios and i'm just i have had enough like i i just i swear to god 
because the Doctor Strange folks released two clips uh, from the movie online this week. And the first one was of the short fight scene of Doctor Strange versus this uh, multi-tentacled, you know, being from another world. And in the thing, uh, there was this extra in a trench coat and a briefcase. And I'm sure you can find like the memes or whatever like that, or some people have like edited together like the times, but there's this extra in a, in a trench coat and a briefcase that runs by uh, Dr. Strange about four or five times in, in terms of the cuts, the way that this thing is cut together. And they tried to dunk on Marvel, like the see these movies are crap, you know, look at this sort of, they can't even get their continuity right. This same extra moves like, four times look at it it's so like anybody's mm. giving a shit about this fucking extra and i just i i'm like fuck you okay like do you have any idea how big this scene is do you have any idea that's number one number two i'm so sick of this hate of like now that marvel is like the cool kid like you know they're the one that's making the things and stuff like that they are you know, everybody's like, well, they're ruining cinema. And I'm like, no, they're not ruining cinema. No. They're making money because the movies are good. The movies are good. People like them. I like them. And speaking as a person who came from Lou Ferrigno's Hulk, you know, doing a tier, team up with, with, with a really weird looking daredevil um, and a really sad looking Thor in those early team up movies from yeah. like the Bill Bixby like Incredible Hulk show things, those small <coughs> things. Like coming from that to this, I'm not going back, people. This is the way that, that comics work. I don't know if you've actually picked up a comic, but this is how comics work. We now have, if you, you for years, people were like, we wish that comics, they could just do the comic books like they do or do movies the way they do the comic books. Okay, we have that now. We literally have that. That's literally what it is. That's the MCU. You're welcome. I'm not going back. I'm sorry. We're not moving backwards. I'm not going back to the Stone Ages for you. I'm not going back to like X-Men 1. I'm not going back to like the Fox X-Men series. I'm not going back to Blade Trinity. I'm not going back <laughs> to... Okay. Yeah. I'm not going back to these bullshit <clears throat> like inferior comic book movies i'm not doing it i'm not i just cannot and so i like the movies are making money because they're good and the business is based off of money and that's why these other movies are getting greenlit because they all want to do what marvel's doing but they can't they can only do inferior versions of them if if, if you know morbius is to be you know whatever anyway Believed. yeah yeah so I've yeah seen the posters yeah and dc doesn't know what the fuck it's doing um uh, because they refuse to put someone in charge of their comic book movies <laughs> instead they just they they refuse to learn the marvel's lesson they just right. refuse and i'm just the movies are good not all of them are great no i saw eternals I... it's not that great <laughs> I, no, I will I... be the first to admit it, it it's it wasn't... not great it wasn't my vibe, uh, but there are some people who enjoyed it. I think I think what what you know when when people complain, especially during a pandemic, and especially in a time when people don't have to leave their house to go see a decent story, um, and they can see it probably on a nice a nice screen or TV. You know, the question is, what's, why go out there? Why go and risk COVID and pay right. a lot of money for a ticket? And, you know, time and time again, business-wise, people are saying, I'll do it for a Marvel movie. Yeah, I'll do it for an event movie. And that's... And, 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 like, they're keeping, in a way, like, they help keep, like, movie theaters afloat during the entire pandemic. And right. they help keep cinema alive. And then you got people like Scorsese, who's just like, they're killing cinema. I'm like, they're kind of the reason cinema's, like, like theaters around here are like Scorsese under. hasn't been yeah. relevant for years and he won't do anything that's relevant he just wants to make his stuff and that's you know it is what it is and I that's mean, the that other thing nice. yeah that's the other thing I really want to like get down to it because there's 
there's sort of a lot of things that work here in terms of that kind of stuff. Like one is people are like, Hollywood doesn't make original movies anymore. Oh, that's not true because everything, everywhere, all at once is currently out there and y'all haven't seen it. Like, so, you know, or some of us have seen it. The movie is making decent cash. And so clearly they are making movies out there. Like you can go and do it, but you have to go and support them. That's like you said, people aren't willing to go out there and do different things. I saw Together. Um, that was an amazing original movie. Together like, or Together Together? There's no, not Together Together. I saw both of them, but I saw Together. It was a movie with James McAvoy. Uh, okay. it, was a, it was a COVID movie about this couple in a house. I went to go see it in the theater. I went to go see it in a the theater because I wanted to go see that movie in a theater. And it was just a movie about people um, and sort of living their lives. It was a COVID movie, but it was it was also just about marriage and, and uh, just like how we interact with each other, just human beings and human drama. It was a fantastic movie. It was just absolutely amazing. And, and just a movie that was buoyed by great writing and two great performances. And some of y'all don't even know what I'm talking about. So most of y'all <laughs> don't check even it know out. what I'm talking yeah. about. So go fucking watch it. You know, and none of you saw it in the theaters. So whatever, like, I, that's not true. So you, the other thing is that we have these, the theaters, are going out to the movies is prohibitively expensive. I like, let's just put that out there. Like that's not even a part of the conversation, but it is. Like there's a reason why theaters do $5 Tuesdays. There's absolutely yeah. a reason for that. Like, because going to the movies has been prohibitively expensive and has been for many years. It just, it hasn't been the same uh, since we were kids. When my yeah, parents used to be able to take us out to the to the movies and stuff like that. Like that used to be a yeah. thing. You used to be able to afford to be able to take your kids and go to the theaters. You can't. Like the going to the movies uh with your kids is at least a hundred dollars, if not more. That's before you factor in popcorn and things like that. Like you can't go to the theaters and do the things that we used to do is like the way we grew up because movie theater tickets are expensive. I bought two tickets for like the quote unquote big show for Dr. Strange. It was $40 for two adults. Yeah. yeah. Imagine if I was going with my kids. Yeah. Like it would, it would like, come it's, on. It, it's absolutely true. And I think, I think it, we, we know that movie theater tickets have risen, house, housing, other essentials have risen, you know, <laughs> people don't have more money to spend on entertainment. Right. They have less. Um, and so, yeah, going to a movie theater, and this is part, part of why the rise in, you know, TV and VOD is so successful, because somebody already has Netflix and can watch Squid Game, etc. Right. Et I, I literally... Yeah, and they, and they can, the whole family can sit around it. You're not paying per person. Yeah. I literally get like uh, updates from Facebook of like years past of like, you know, this day in Facebook, like you said, and there are, <laughs> there are many months where I'm just posting about the fact that we were too poor to go to the movies. We yeah. couldn't even afford to go out on a date night to the movies because we just were living paycheck to paycheck. And this is before now, like we're only, yeah. I'm only now getting to a place where I'm making enough cash and have my children have moved on enough so that I don't have to take them with me every time I go to the movies or pay for a babysitter every time I go out. But like yeah. that, the idea of, of, of having of either scenario, either taking a date night out with my wife or going out with my kids to see uh, an Encanto or, uh, <coughs> you know, a Marvel movie, a Marvel movie yeah. or any kind of thing like that. Just the idea of doing that thing was an event. It was a major yeah. event. It was something that I knew that I had to enjoy because I knew that I was going to spend at least $100, if not $150. Like, yeah, easily. And I, I come from, a, my family is a large family. So like mm -hmm. we usually have a Christmas tradition, uh, obviously not during the pandemic, uh, of us all going out to the movies on Christmas Day. And usually like I have two partners. We start saving, mm -hmm. you know, in November, like week after week, just making sure we put away another ticket, another ticket, another ticket. Yeah, we used to do yeah. the same thing where we used to do that because we knew that 
our family would give us movie gift cards and we'd be like, we knew that those were coming. So we would plan on going to see like a, around a Christmas, a movie because yeah. we knew we'd have that buffer of like offsetting with Christmas gift cards. Like it was, it's the exact same thing. And so the, the going to the movies is prohibitively expensive. And until that changes, like you're going to have like, you know, people who only support a type of film so while it is sort of our fault like we do have to support you know original films when they come out and things like that but at the same time I understand where people are coming from because it is prohibitively expensive and the people like Scorsese don't see things like that because they don't worry about spending $40 for two movie tickets it's not it's again it's like not something that they're worried about Right, and, right. And they already have a brand where they're like, oh, if I make a movie, right. even if it's some weird indie darling with my friends, somebody, like, I'll get enough theater chains to pick it up. And that's like, the I'll other have enough thing, studios like, push it because they, they have a brand. It's, and some of these yeah, older not, filmmakers the side. who are just, like, upset that their movies are no longer relevant <laughs> to the things and stuff like that, it's because they don't have anything to say to, like, today's audiences you don't have Scorsese doesn't have anything to say to me he does it just doesn't he doesn't have anything to say and that's not something that you can just go for in today's market you do, if you don't have anything to say you know like okay like if people are like well just tell a good story I'm like well yeah but at the same time like people yeah exactly and people are looking for stories about them like, that's one of the things that Netflix is, is, is sort of the Netflix effect has. The big one is that people are looking for stories about them. And Marvel movies, at least they sort of feature characters that we love, you know, and then some of them, like, you know, you can find stories about income inequality inside of Spider-Man No Way Home. So, I mean, not, <coughs> not No Way yeah. Home, but, um, well, yeah, in no, no Way Home. And also, like, uh, Homecoming, I was, like, re-watching it, and I was just like, man, this... They've got this whole like us against the haves and the have not story, and it was fantastic. But yeah. like, um, you know, they're not saying anything to today's audience. And a lot of people are saying, well, you know, it's the message. You know, this whole thing, the MCU, you know, these female protagonists and blah, blah, blah. And like, people want to see themselves represented on screen. Marvel got oh, the yeah. hit. They were like, okay, sure. Okay, you want more female? We'll give you more female characters. Okay, we'll give you more black characters. We'll give you, you know what I mean? We're just, we're going to give you what you want. We're going to tell the superhero stories and we're going to give you what you want. And their movies make money. And so they seem to be getting, again, Marvel seems to be the only one that's getting the message. I hate that they're making me defend a fucking like multi-billion dollar studio. I hate it. I hate it because Marvel is not perfect. I don't no. think that Marvel is perfect. They have a lot of flaws. One of which is that they don't pay their comic book artists for the runs that they steal and put up on screen. But it's not, it's not, it's neither here nor there. But the problem is, is that these people have forced me to do this because they keep tossing this narrative that doesn't hold any water. And these filmmakers who are upset because they're not the cool kids anymore, Scorsese being right in the lead of that. Like, yeah, I was gonna say, and Spielberg also, I feel like, has taken several jabs, right? Like Netflix and VOD that feels very old man yells at cloud mm -hmm. like, even though you and i like he shaped our childhoods Go right ahead. i yeah. love spielberg's you know most of his oeuvre like you know before a certain year but they're like they don't have anything to speak to today's audience because they're so out of touch they can't be in touch with where people are right now because they their money lifts them well beyond that like yeah. they can't they're not among people that they, I don't know if they just don't interact with people of above, below a certain like poverty line or a certain like, uh, what's the word? This, you know what, this, this kind of reminds me, did you ever read, I don't remember if it's Adventures of the Screen Trade or Which Lie Did I Tell, but Grand Poppy Goldman, uh, my, our guy, right? Uh, Your guy. I love him. Yes. Uh, um, he was one of his books were the first like they were at my library locally so it was the first thing about screenwriting I ever read about was just like here's some juicy hot gas um and two books and he has this wonderful chapter in there I think he did the movie called Year of the Comet okay and basically it was about this like a uh, movie about uh like a couple kind of like a adventure movie about a couple trying to get a hold of this bottle of wine 
that was from the year of a comet. And he said he sat in, so he wrote it, he loves wine and, you know, he sat in the movie theater at, for its screening and it's a free screening, you know, just to test the audiences and he right. watched people walk out in the middle of a free movie. And he wrote, and I think it was so, what I enjoy about William Goldman is he can actually analyze himself. Right. And he says, I wrote a movie about wine, which regular, most people who go to movie theaters don't fucking care about wine. Right. Not like I cared about like the, the year of Haley's Comet wine. Like they might like wine, but they're not so wine obsessed that they're invested in these people getting a bottle of wine. Like I was out of touch when right. I was writing that story. And I think that's part of what's kept William Goldman making, you know, decades of relevant films that he was able to check himself and be like, what were you doing, bro? You, right. you know, and who let this happen? But but you're right. Like, I don't think anybody's sitting there telling, you know, Spielberg or Scorsese, like, hey, you know, reel it back in. Well, and here's the thing. If you th look at the success story of somebody like, it sort of reminds me of like what Vince Gilligan talks about um, when they, like, he was on the phone with one of the writers from Breaking Bad, Thomas Schnauz, I think. And they were talking about now that they were out of jobs, like they've been on the X-Files and they were out of a job and they were both sort of feeling that, that pressure of like, where's the next yeah. job coming from? And they were just like, well, you know, if it gets down to it, we can always just get a camper van and just start making meth. And, you know, like that sort of where the genesis <laughs> of where Breaking Bad came from. Would I'm going to argue that most television folk are not skilled chemists. No. I'm going to argue that's a very niche that yeah. they'll be able to pull it off successfully. <laughs> but, but you see where the story comes from, right? There's yeah. two people where, oh, my God, we don't have jobs. Yeah. Where's the money coming from? We have families. We yeah. have to make ends meet. Like this shit isn't gonna, what we're sitting on right now isn't going to last forever. This is Los Angeles. We yeah. need money. And like, that's where that story came, came from. And what you have, Breaking Bad, is this very grounded story about, you know, this man who is thinks he's doing what he can for his family. It comes from a very realistic place. And also the horrors of the American healthcare system, which, you know, if you get cancer, that might be a death sentence financially for your family. And just like yeah. people are like. Yeah. Or some people just decide to die. Right. Yeah. They, right. Exactly. In the first few episodes, he's just like, I'll just die. It was it's yeah. much preferable to me to die than to leave family, you yeah. in debt of yeah. like my health shit. And that to me was like, you know, like that's why I think everybody like got to that show and why that show was such a watershed moment because it accurately portrays something that is going on in America right now. It is yeah. relevant. It continues to be relevant and will as long as we live in the hellscape that is HMO, whatever, you know, kind of uh, anyway. But like, that's the reason why that, why people fucks with that show. That's, yeah. There's a reason for it. And the screenwriters, were among us enough to see where that was. They're not lifted above it. They were up enough to come up with that storyline. And that's why that story is relevant. That's why that story hits people and why people keep trying to recreate that lightning in the bottle. And none of those people, none of these filmmakers, like Francis Ford Coppola, fucking, you know, who's got $120 million of his own money, you know, to make his own film, and thought he was, and thought, oh, look, Francis Ford Coppola's investing all of this money from his wine business in order to make another, who gives a fuck? Steven Spielberg, another one. Scorsese, another one. And all of these folks, these rich folks who are just like, they don't want to hear our movies. Well, you don't have anything to say. You don't have yeah. anything to say to these audiences. Well, I think, you did, I think they, you wouldn't have any problems. But you can get mad, you know, you can get nostalgic for the golden years when, you know, you didn't have to have conflict. And I am, I'm going to argue, and this is, okay, you ready for me to say, like, this is going to be incendiary. And Go ahead. I've been the angry one this entire episode. Go ahead. All, all of these people who we are, I mean, we're going to argue are trained film artists and talented also came up in a world where they didn't have competition like they do now right. you know we're talking about like
like since the 1930s, women have had a very hard time getting work as directors. We're talking about people of color they weren't competing with. All along, these people, as they were coming up, didn't really have to compete with everybody. Right. And now they fucking do. And oh, it's hard. I feel so bad for you. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's the same thing with the Academy and the Oscars so white. It's like, yeah, a bunch of white dudes keep nominating white dudes because it's been white dudes all the way down. Right. And now all of a sudden people go, well, you know, we want to see more than white dudes. Not that you can't be here and not that you aren't talented, but like spread it around. We're not all white dudes. And everybody's, you know, got, you know, feelings hurt because all of a sudden they're not the special snowflake they once were because the world is bigger than that. Can you, like, cause there's, a, there's, you know, when we talk about stuff, cause there's certain facts and stuff like that, especially when it comes to the Oscars, there's only been one, one black screenwriter, one person of color screenwriter, one yeah. person of color who's ever won best original screenplay, one in 90 plus years. There's only been one person of color. One? One? You mean yeah, I'm blanking. Me who, who was it? Huh? Who won it? It was who, Jordan Peele. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. Fuck. I was like, oh, it's got to be Moonlight. But no, you're right. Oh, you're fucking right. And that right. was adapted. Never mind. Who yep. Moonlight's adapted from, yep. the, from the play. Okay. But yeah, I mean, and you sit there and it's just like. One? I, you mean well, what? I mean, I meet what? writers all the time, and I assure you, many of them are not white. Like the, this shouldn't be, you know, the, the the average. And what it is is, as you get closer to the top and whatnot, there is like it's it's harder. Every opportunity is harder if you're a minority, a person of color. I mean, even argue a woman, uh, yeah. even though you know things you know are getting better there. Like as you get closer, and there's less and less options. Every choice away is you know one less opportunity it's it's it sucks well here's a lesson for us that i think that we can also take away from this too is like this is another thing that i'm sort of seeing a little bit of like uh, let's not write about being writers like i I don't know (laughs) that's sort of my weird sort of takeaway from this from Uh, like what we can sort of do like that because i feel like there are other stories, other jobs of people that we can tell stories from their worlds and like uh, worlds that I've never seen. I've had a lot of jobs. I've had a lot of jobs. And most of them I've never seen really represented on screen. And like the amount of stories that I have from those jobs, people are always like, you should turn that into a film. And I'm like, I'm I'm working on it. But like, you know what I mean? Like, (laughs) Like, but there's like, you know, like I was, um, you know, uh, like the overnight residential coordinator for a uh, halfway home for schizophrenics. Yeah, that's a job, man. Like, you want to you want to talk about a job? Why don't you try arguing with a with a with a medically like diagnosed crazy person? Okay, <laughs> while they are standing in a pool of their own liquid feces that that's that's a that's a scene that you have not <laughs> that you have not seen on screen you haven't i've lived it but you haven't seen it yeah um, i mean i think you and i have similar backgrounds yeah. i used to work at a, a a manager of a group home with uh navajo folk with uh, disabilities and uh up in like northern arizona they have their own institute it's the same deal, like right. what you're experiencing. That sounds there. amazing. Like that sounds amazing <laughs> the character. I want to see that story. So let's, right. folks, let's not write about being writers. Well, let's yeah, not do I think, that. I think it's a. I think it's unfortunately, anytime you write about being a writer, there becomes this kind of like it's like La La Land. It becomes this <laughs> yeah. kind of magical thinking where it's like, yeah, and you end up romanticize the process. Romanticize, and it never. I used to be a contest reader for many screenwriting contests. Whenever somebody was like a writer, people would just wander in and be like, "Your work is so amazing." These were side characters, you know. Yeah. We must publish this novel. You are just like the voice of a generation, <laughs> you know. And I was just like. <clears throat> I don't know, man. Like I'm a writer, and or I, it's like I that love interest is like you've got to start writing again. That thing that you wrote, I loved it's it. The it was the story like, of my life, and you've got to start writing again. And they're just like, I can't. The process, I can't. I, I must <laughs> for ninety minutes. Oh god. And then you, you know, do it, like, and everyone's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then- <laughs> it's like, it's like that's not that's not what you know. I think the best story about a writer, one of the best, 
uh, is adaptation. It feels the most yes. honest. Um, yes. Forget about being a writer. Not even know, just I, a writer, but like a Hollywood screenwriter. That shit is amazing, man. Yeah. It's so good. Like, or, you know, you can definitely, like, if you want to kind of put fun in it, you can bark and fink it. Like, there are ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, for the most part, I don't think I don't think writers need to be writing about writers. I think, it, if anything, like, I often, like, we have, we have a, a character who's working on one project with, and instead of making him a writer, uh, we made him a graphic novelist. You know, we mm-hmm. went to ch- Chasing Amy Rowe, which was good, number one. Visual. Visual, yeah. Film. And number two, it does still highlight the, the woes of an artist, but without it being through that like meta yeah. lens. Um, and it was able to tell a similar message about like the toughness of being a creator without it being like a wine session personally about me being a writer. The Sound and, of Metal was also a great yeah. sort of thing about a, a person who makes music, but it wasn't necessarily about like the fact that they've made music, but you could sort of feel what what that person was losing as they were losing their hearing. It was just, it was like, man, even if you didn't like their music, but it was just like, you understood that sort of like journey of like, man, they're, they're, they're losing everything. Like their, their entire identity is wrapped yeah. up in a thing. So I, let's not do that. I know we all like are very much like into the process and, and, and we, and we love sort of writing about, you know, our own sort of woes, but let's not do that. Because that's sort of our way of being, you know, the of sort of not being in touch with our audience. Not everyone yeah. is a writer. Um, there are so many people doing so many jobs out there that are yeah. just are not being and brought then, to light. And they have their own amazing stories. And you probably have had them. You've done them. So write about them, folks. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you find that you can only write about being a writer, take a break and get some more life <laughs> um yeah. you know do, do some do some stuff sign up for volunteering you know teach some people to read at the library like i don't know just you know vary it up a bit yeah i think expanding your man. world is always a good thing listen have we transitioned to the therapy session yet are we in it i think we are let's let's just call okay. it what it is we're just we're outside of the twitter thing at this point and i'm not going to try and edit and do this out because I, I i'm pretty much loving it but we're in, <laughs> we are whatever the, heals your soul rob yeah, yeah we're in a screenwriting therapy session um and you know like i there's this was a little free goosey like loosey goosey like that sort of <laughs> free goosey i like free goosey more it's a little free goosey mm, yeah, because it sounds like the goose has more choice. <laughs> but, you know, I, like I was going to just like start it off and be like, what's going on with you? Like, what's happening with you? Because, you know, there's a lot. Of, I think the two of us are definitely going through a lot at this point. And it's sort of. <laughs> well, I have COVID. So yeah. that's a that's a that's a thing. Bummer. But you're also you're also in the middle of like, well, like in ex- what I would call extreme pre-production on on your movie um it is and that is a lot pre-production is a lot but you're you're kind of you're in one of these like crunch kind of things and and i don't know how much of it you want to like talk about but you know yeah i mean like i don't want to i'm not here to bore anybody because i feel like you know okay maybe this is my therapy session is part of oh god this is telling too much (laughs) Part of my personal mental disorder that I have to deal with, even even on meds and therapy, is assuming everybody hates me. Um, <laughs> right? No, it's it's true. Like I wake up in the morning and like my brain assumes the, the worst, and then I have to be like bad brain. Like let's just assume the middle. The middle's probably more accurate of a gauge. My it's brain really. More no, like, nobody no, really knows who the fuck you are. So you know, it's more like that. Like you know. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. so you know, as I've been going through this process, there's a lot of reaching out for help. There's a lot of reaching out for support and building the team, and you know, or just trying to get things done. And um, it's very hard sometimes to not feel like you're making the progress you need to be. Or that people aren't particularly excited about the project. Or uh, I'm not going to say that. Most people are pretty excited about the project in general or the humor me at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I need to get other people to get motivated, um, I feel a little bit more like the hen growing the wheat. Um, and Where is that lazy dog? And, Where is that lazy cat? <laughs> and making the bread. 
Um, and I, I mean, that's not entirely true. And I, like, if anyone part of my team is listening to this, I am not complaining about you. Okay. You know, I have, I have several producers on my team. They're doing wonderful stuff. Um, there's never enough time. There's never enough money. There's never enough hands on deck. Um, but I will say that it's really interesting when you decide you're going to make something and you say it is happening. I am the moving train, the station, you know, is here. This is when the train arrives. You know, you can either show up and get on the train or the train's going to go on without you. Right. Um, it is surprising to me how many people struggle to make that decision, whether they're going to be on the train or not, and then seem to think that the train is going to come back for them um yeah which is which is i don't i don't know what to do particularly with those folks because oftentimes things like you know friends and associates but i'm like no no um unlike i don't know where you're buying this from uh we're doing stuff and we're doing it right now and there's no like nobody can wait for you especially in something like this like i'm pretty sure on day one if i was still sick with covid and we needed to film they couldn't wait for me either they some like my ad would be filming like i don't right. even get the pr privilege of being waited for so i don't know what you think you're getting so um it's really weird yeah. like how people like i've had that sort of phenomenon myself i remember when we were doing i think it was barbara um yeah where we were even actors, you know, like we were auditioning and I remember the character of Barbara is particularly challenging because I only write challenging characters. <laughs> and and right. yeah, and you know, cause you know, look at the source. But like, I remember writing that character and I remember I got this note from an actress who was like, when you change the script, let me know. And I was like, who am I changing it for? Like, what, what am I changing the script for? Am I changing it for you? Am I like, who, what is that? Like, what kind yeah. of note is that? Like this whole thing of like, when you change this, like, you know, storyline and stuff like that. And I don't know, essentially tell a different story or, you know, <laughs> you decide know. to do a different character on screen. Yeah. I don't know. Like. Then you come back and, and talk to me. And I'm just like, okay, Queen of Sheba, like, I guess I'll get back to you. Never. When I <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, right. it sounds like you want to, which is, by the way, which is fine. If she's like, right. I don't want to do this story. I don't right. want to put someone my time had, in it. Yeah, she just yeah, said, you know fine. what? This isn't for me. I appreciate you reaching out. But like, that's how you be professional. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, that's all you have to say. I don't think the story is for me. Uh, thank you for reaching out. I appreciate like you the opportunity, but this, I'm gonna have to pass. And that's that's what I'm trying to do. This is my generation's filmmaking. Is I want to normalize the no. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think we just need to be more direct with each other. Like, oh, you know what? I don't think I want to. You know, this is for me right now. Maybe we'll work on another project. Sure. You know? Yeah. Like, you know, you don't even have to be an asshole. Just about cut it, it off. Like, like, you know, yeah, but you this other like, thing of like, I don't want to spend my time on this. And, yeah. You know, this other thing of like, I am so special that I feel like that you'll be, you know, uh, that you will come back around and either see things my way or need me in a way so that you will meet whatever weird demands that like <laughs> somehow best for you, but not the production. Yes. Um, yeah, like so that's what's going on in my world. What's going on for your world? Robert? Well, for me, it's just uh, I had a movie collapse on me, um, because like, is is uh, any film is, don't say those things around me? No, oh god, but no, but just as, as indie film as I am, like, you know, even I can sort of price myself out of something. Um, and I had something that. You know, we had a project that we were working on, Misha and I, and we were very excited about it. And then we we did it because of sort of I'm I'm having a crisis of faith, and I, I think everybody's sort of been experiencing it with me. Um, and I'm having trouble. And I, I, as radical as I sound, I'm having trouble letting it go. Um, I just no longer believe in in the you know, like as much as I like Marvel movies and, and, and everything else and stuff like that, I don't think that I'll ever be able to pick to write one. 
You know, I don't think that I'll ever get to that place. And it's not that I don't want to get to that place. It's not like I don't want to aim for that place, but I want to make things and I want to make things more than I want to chase things. Yeah. And I've just come to the point in my career where, uh, where, you know, I don't want to chase anymore. I just want to make stuff and I want to make stuff practically. And I, I've got sort of an ax to grind because I feel like, like I have this thing that this lights a fire in my brain where like my brain keeps telling me and I know it for a fact, but I don't have any evidence. Like, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like, um, but I, this thing that keeps sort of the way that Mark Duplass, like we were something else we saw on Twitter this week was that it was like the, the anniversary of the Calvary is not coming. Um, yes. Which if you guys haven't seen it, it's an, Excellent, excellent. Yeah, I'll put it in the show notes. It's yeah, fantastic. It's... I literally based like the how to make a movie for a thousand dollars around that sort of uh, the, like his monologue, the, the puffy yeah. chair, and yeah. yeah. But like ten thousand dollars is a lot of money to make a movie. Like I, you know what I like. <laughs> like when be, I think yes. about, I look at around the world, which is closing in on $700,000, uh, 700,000 views. And people contact me about that movie all the time and they love it. And people fucking enjoy the fuck out of it. And we made that movie in four days at $4,000. And for me, it like, it didn't feel like we were like, it was like a small amount of money. Like we were in kind of a sweet spot and for me, for the $5,000 to make a movie, if your concept is right, is a lot, is is perfect amount of movie to make a movie that people will watch. Like I'm talking about a Netflix quality movie. You can make a movie for like four to $5,000. Well, obviously I've made a movie for $1,000, but I think you can make a full on Netflix quality movie where no one can tell the difference between what you did and what like, you know, uh, uh, Mark Duplass did, or uh, like you could make a, like a, a one I love type film. Oh yeah, for like five thousand dollars, and so ten thousand. I was gonna say they did it for four hundred thousand, but sure. Yeah, well, it's also got four hundred thousand. It's still good. Yeah, well, yes, <laughs> it's got Elizabeth Moss in it. I'm and they sure... shot. They took more than four days to shoot it. Yeah, yes. and they shot it at Ted Danson's house. So you know what I mean? <laughs> like, was that Ted Danson's house? It was because Ted Danson is in the movie. So yeah, like you know, like the beginning I'm like one scene, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like, okay. you know, so there's there's a way to shoot a movie of that sort of level of thing for like five thousand dollars. So ten thousand dollars is a lot of money to shoot a movie. It really is. <clears throat> like I my first movie was right in that range, like ten to fifteen thousand. And we did a lot. We had we fed everybody, people got paid. Um, not everybody got paid, but everybody got paid with something. There were makeup artists that were receiving uh, school credit for working on our film. There were vendors who got paid for food. Some of them donated their things. There were like, you know, we got food for everybody every day. And we had sometimes as many as 40 people on set. There were a lot of people on that set. And that was like, like a ten dollars to $15,000 movie. It was a lot of money. And you can make a really big movie. The only thing that sucks about She's in the Details, and I wish that was sort of the example that I was setting, is that the fact that we shot it on a shitty, shitty camera. Like, that's one of the things where the camera just didn't work. I wish I had shot it on the DSLR. But, and to sort of make that sort of argument, it's like, you can look at the camera difference between that movie and the movie that came after it around the world, and it's night and day. You don't need a red. You just need a decent camera that's actually a camera. Like, yeah. Like, you know, in even phones shoot better quality than the HD camera that I was using at that point. So that's, <laughs> so that's sort of where I'm coming from. So oh, even yeah, phones now shoot better quality video than and, that. And phones do have limitations as well. Like every camera you use is going to have limitations. Right. But we right were shooting on like this camcorder. It couldn't even rack focus. It was, it was gross. Oh. It was just, yeah, it was anyway. But that's neither here nor there. But like. I was going to say, with Filmic Pro, you can at least rack focus. You can at least yeah. rack focus. On a camera. So say, you, that, the phones iPhone, do better yeah. quality than that camera did back then. Nice. But it was like, you know, there's, there is, you can do a movie with so much, like on a $10,000 budget 
And so for me, like I'm looking at that and I'm just like, I'm having this very intense crisis of faith because I can't, I cannot, I can no longer chase this industry full of gatekeepers, um, you know, where like you have these, you know, people were posting on Twitter, like stories of like um, screenwriters were posting things of like things that they've passed on um, in their name from their gatekeepers. Um, you know, what do you mean? Well, like, you know, well, there's like somebody, people were posting like, you know, somebody told me that I had passed on this movie or that movie or working with these people, like my, my representatives had passed on it in my stead without telling me that I had been offered the thing in the first place. I'm okay. I'm not anti-representation. I am. No, I'm not. But I also think that like there is an interesting weird dichotomy where if you're if you hire like if this only exists in Hollywood, like if you hired somebody to do something for you, Mm -hmm. you know, like oh I'm gonna have this person you know be my assistant and they're going to schedule appointments for me, right? You hire them, and you find out the person that you have hired decided not to put certain appointments on there because they didn't feel it was worth your time right you would fire that right. employee because they are literally you've hired them to do one thing and they're literally not doing their job right and, but it's not the way it is with representatives like, well and that's not, the thing is there's there's a huge attitude sort of. in our industry which is that you're lucky to have us representatives. Mm-hmm. We have the context. You should just go along. And this is really what the whole last writer's strike was all about was the packaging and the packaging wars, which was the same flavor, same thing, slightly different flavor. And so it's worth it's worth taking an attitude, I think, as a writer and as a writer starting out. Not that you shouldn't work with reps, not that they can't give you anything. But literally just, you know, kind of keep that in mind that sometimes that is the attitude of many of these folks in town and they don't have necessarily your best interest at heart. And I think oftentimes, especially as new creators and things like that, they just want to run to a rep, to rep, to rep, you know, and, and have, you know, they'll do anything that rep says or they'll, you know, run to anybody just so that they, they uh, have representation. But if you don't have somebody that's really willing to, you know, put you forward versus their business or even maybe even their payout then they're probably not your rep and you know it's worth it's worth holding out or maybe uh not running you know and falling all over yourself for it if you're really not going to get a lot out of it and and I'm not here to take down any particular rep because I, I do know reps in the industry that do shit ton for their clients and bend over backwards and try to make stuff happen but just just keep that in mind that's also why you know what i have i just see so many of us out here and i've done it myself i've been that person you know i have to yeah yeah, i have to yeah and And it's just like you know where we're you know where it was just like i need to be repped i need to do this i need to get to this place so that i can start getting the jobs and for me it's like you know um it's not true so for me it's just kind of like like you know where I am I'm just like I no longer want to chase any of that stuff for me like you do what you want if you believe in the the system of reps and stuff like that you want and you know everybody is each every one of us is chasing legitimacy I don't care what who you are every one of us is chasing legitimacy sure and that's just the way you know we're chasing it in different ways and that is ultimately the way, like legitimacy and authenticity. I think ultimately authenticity matters more, um, but legitimacy is what is going to get you paid. And yeah. can I can I also I want to say something? I'm going to make Twitter fight. Go ahead. I believe, and you know, I thought about this for a long time, and I was like, I'm never going to say it, but it's the truth, and I feel it inside. If you have to check back in with a potential rep who has your script to read because they haven't gotten back to you, don't bother. I just think either it's a no, or if you have to remind them to be on the test to read your script, that's not the Wow, person. yeah, that that's, you know, like- And that's, you know, in advice, in books, they say, check back in three to six weeks. <laughs> honestly, honestly, like if I'm hiring an employee, because at the end of the day, I am hiring somebody, if they can't read the script, 
they're not interested. They've got other things to do. If I have to come back and go, hey, hey, pay attention to this job I'm offering you. And like, I'm sorry, it's not a good match. And it's right. not, the, you know, they're probably not excited about it. It's a soft no. And I'm, I want to find somebody who calls me back because they read the script and they're excited. Right. And, and even if they're yeah. not excited, that's like, you know, have the conversation like, hey, I don't think I can do anything with this. Like, this is not like yeah. my jam, but at least do that. Then don't yeah. be like, then just ignore me. Like, yeah. Or if I assume if you didn't call me back, either you opened it and you're like, meh, or you didn't read it. And like, that's fine too. But like, I don't have, I don't have any use for you. You don't have right. any use exactly. for Exactly. Like, don't spend all that time on it. Uh, now, I'm sure if we were to post this on Twitter, somebody would say, oh, there was that time I checked back with a rep and they did get around to my script and then they loved it and I have a deal. There, That's great. And There's I'm always a nine out of 10 rule for everybody. There's always. And so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying like in general, I don't, I have enough going on in my life too. I am as equally busy as my reps. And so I don't have time to check in with them and be like, Hey, did you read the script, buddy? Yeah. Like, hey, buddy, what's script? going on? Did you, yeah, did you like, get a chance to I'm sit not, down? And... I've got a bunch of children at home. I don't need another one that I'm giving. <laughs> and, and so, like, that that's an unpopular opinion. I, again, I welcome the Twitter debate. I, not in this house. But I don't do um, yeah. But, you know, like, yeah. I, I just. A, a follow-up? Sure. If you guys, like, had a discussion and, like, had a meeting and, like, oh, we need a follow-up. Sure, maybe a follow-up. But, like. If they got a document and they didn't read it or they didn't follow up with you, as long as you know they got the document, like usually they're like, got the script, thanks. Like that's on them. Yeah. And it's and it's okay um, that it's on them. And and if they were interested, they would do something with it. Well, let's let's yeah. sort of we could do this all day, but we let's could. sort of end this therapy session the way you know people end uh, this. Mid- Our time is up. Well, you owe, give me your insurance. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But like, this, you know, yeah. what, you know, our, when you go to therapy, your therapist is always like, what do you want to accomplish? And how do you plan on accomplishing? What are your goals for this week? And how do you plan on accomplishing them? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to keep it together. Uh, there are moments, I'm going to be honest. Um, there are moments in the middle of this progress where I've been feeling like giving up. Yep. Um, and, and, and I, I don't say that because I know people invested in this film and I know that everybody's counting on me, but there are moments, especially when it feels too big, too much, too difficult, that I almost just want to go in a corner and cry and give up and say, never mind, fuck it. Um, and at this point, my only goal is to make sure that that voice does not win out, um, to keep going forward and let that voice you know, I acknowledge it, I guess, for what it is, but it can't win. Um, and so for me, it's just battling that voice and those fears and doubt because it's a big project. And um, I'm not saying a lot of people want me to fail, but I think that sometimes whenever you're faced with something big, like making a movie or, you know, finishing a script or making progress on something, you do run into folks who enjoy the comfort of your failure more than they enjoy the joy of your success does that make sense for you yeah yeah it, it, it kind of it's yeah i was gonna say they're not these are not terrible people and i've probably found myself doing it which is that it's more comforting and it seems more camaraderie based if you fuck up and fail than if you succeed because then it makes everyone else look bad right um, then you're just like damn i could have been doing stuff you know? yeah, like, yeah exactly and so I kind of feel that pressure of people would be like, just, just fail already, fail. And then, you know, then you can be, you know, then I can feel we're on the same level or that, like, I'm not doing that. You or know? you can be so, like, see, I told you it was X, Y, and Z. And, you know, then. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah. And so I feel like, I feel like it's maybe just avoiding, avoiding some of that and, and keeping, you know. That's keeping, a worthy keep, goal. It's a worthy, okay, good. I was hoping it might be. No, um, I like that. I, I think my goal is similar. I, I For me, okay. I, I just want to, um, I want to continue to sort of stock my faith fridge um, of, of in this new sort of faith. I want to educate myself. 
uh, with, you know, I, I, I feel like, especially in terms of screenwriting and things like that, I always want to keep learning. I always want to be a constant student of our craft. And yeah. so for me, I, I want to continue to learn, to continue to um, stock myself with the internal knowledge that I need in order to be a better yeah. filmmaker, a better writer, because then I will make better art. And then I will, I will be able to be the change where I can sort of embody that statement that burns of uh, a flaming trail in my brain that $10,000 is a lot of money to make a movie with. <laughs> I want to be emblematic of that. And so um, I will continue to stock my faith fridge this week. Uh, I, like I will that. continue to do that and <coughs> just continue to believe. And sometimes that fridge, you know, you're, you're down to condiments like that, <laughs> you're, you know, that you're, that you're in trouble when your faith fridge is down to just like ketchup and mustard. And, and ponzu, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know. It doesn't need to be in the fridge, but yeah. Yeah, just, it's just in there, but you know, I'm gonna keep stocking it. I'm gonna keep, keep going to the store and, and stocking it up. And, uh, and hopefully uh, I will, I will persevere and eventually, uh, you know, we'll be able to start keeping some uh some high quality meats in them fridge um, <laughs> so at least you have room in there for something yeah we have a lot of room, room right now um yeah. but let's move on to what are we watching consuming writing yeah um i watched dog day afternoon um because i've been writing my contained action thriller script that is also based on real events just like dog day afternoon which I did not know until I watched Dog Day Afternoon uh, or rewatched it. Um, and I like, I realized that, that this is something different because I've never written something based on actual events. And it sort of feels like a cheat because I know where the story goes. Yeah. Like I don't have to worry about what the ending is because somebody already told me. It's already like, it is what it is. So uh, I've, it's almost like you have an outline of where you're gonna go. Oh my god! Mm -hmm. You know, it's not an outline. This is no, all right. We're gonna fight. All right. Um, we'll I also later. watched. Yeah, it's like the people don't need it. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll put it on Twitter. We're fighting blogs. And what did you? Well, yeah. What did you read, uh, watch, or do stuff this week, Kate Tuxford? Yeah. So since I've been uh, quarantined. Uh, because I'm a responsible adult with COVID. Because you left me? Because <laughs> I went to Vegas. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I um, have been watching a lot of TV. There's been a lot of uh, shows I've been watching with Celia and keeping up on. One of the things, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, I started Better Call Saul. I haven't actually watched a bunch of it, so I'm starting at the beginning and kind of working my through, way through. Um, and then I also have uh, started season two of Russian Doll, but I haven't been high enough yet to really appreciate how the time <laughs> fucked up the business of it. So I'm like, maybe I should wait and do shrooms and watch second season of Russian Doll. That sounds dangerous. Um, yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's what I need to do. So I, I didn't work on that one too much, but Julia on HBO Max has been kind of like my sentimental favorite. Um, if you're somebody who just loves like coda and emotional stories and stuff, and you don't necessarily need to like have life or death stakes, um, Julia is very nice. And maybe it's kind of therapeutic for me right now because it is about a uh, woman who is, you know, basically it's the story of Julia Child and um, her foray into making a program for public television and a lot of men telling her no. And a This lot woman of had to be an interesting person because it, I, to my account, this is like the third project that's been made about her. <laughs> yeah, so this is the, like Julia and Julia was more about the cookbook uh, that she wrote. After she wrote her cookbook, she did this really cool thing and she kind of became the first ever... TV chef 
and um, had a public program and was like the first person to tell people how to make recipes over TV, give them instructions on how to make it and information about it. And since then, you know, the world of TV chefing has forever lived. And now mm-hmm. we have like Guy Fieri and like, you know, uh, Emerald going bam and, 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 you know, all these wonderful TV chefs. But she was one of the first and they did not know that there was a demand for that in the market. And, you know, nobody kind of knew what that was going to be like. So uh, it's really interesting if you want to kind of uh, glance at like the world of TV, because it definitely kind of covers some of that in early TV where people just didn't know what people were going to tune in and watch. Um, and also I found it like therapeutic because oftentimes everyone wanted to tell her no on her project. Um, and there's this element of Julia just going, well, yes. Um, and it's interesting and vulnerable in that way. And although like my ability to cook is like, okay. Um, I think it's just, a, it's really therapeutic. Uh, I make a few really good dishes. Like I'm, uh, as a college student and poor person, um, on a whole, although I'm, I'm probably like a medium person now, um, I make really good soup. I'm a soup person. Cause you can always find See, a bunch you of keep stuff. keep stabbing me. You know how much I hate soup. You hate soup and buns? Yeah, I hate soup. Well, I make the best cream of broccoli soup. Soup, okay. Soup for me is an apocalypse food. This is neither here nor there. It's an apocalypse (laughs) food. And I feel like there is an apocalypse looming of some kind. There's going to be plenty of time for all of us to eat soup when we can eat (laughs) nothing but soup. So I will not be eating soup while there are other things to eat. When, When we can no longer... Go to Popeyes and get food. You know what I mean? Like, that'll be the time when I eat soup. But until then, I'm staying away from soup. I don't need it. Rob, I've just learned this about you. Okay. Uh, uh, And I'm sorry. I'm really good at making soup. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's talk about this week's resource. And I thought long and hard about this one. And then I I realized once I sort of... Like uh, I got there, it was just sort of. Oh shit! I forgot. I forgot one of the jokes. Sorry. Sure. Can I say that? Made for Love season two has started as well on HBO Max. I don't know if you saw Made for Love season one. It was kind of a sleeper um, about a girl who's essentially married to somebody who's like a uh, like an Elon Musk and yeah. uh, and winds up he winds up putting a chip in her head and she tries to escape him. Uh, but also features Ray Romano as her father who is married and in a serious committed relationship with a sex doll. So like, if you just want to watch something that's a little out there and fun and bizarre, I highly recommend it. Well, that sounds like an amazing thing. <laughs> There's so many close-ups of like, they're having a conversation and then they're like a close-up of the sex doll. And they're like, what do you think? And then, <laughs> <laughs> and every time it gets me. <laughs> that's fucked up. Um, but uh, okay, this week's resource is youtube.com and i know that seems weak sauce but seriously people we are so lucky to be living in a time where we can share our collective human experience with the world and nowhere is this more true than youtube not only can you find guides (laughs) uh and talks from screenwriters at all levels of the rainbow but uh as a filmmaking resource it just has it, 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 it is, is amazing yeah, when it, it comes it's to a, it is wow because like i've been using it to do research on my true life event because there it was one of those things that while it was a notable event it wasn't something that was heavily written about and so what i've been getting is a lot of uh sort of pundits so like speaking about it like people speaking about it like you know in sort of retrospective in terms of how it relates to their particular community whether it be pop culture or video games because it's sort of at that weird uh, intersection and also uh, like my script involves watching a bunch of old commercials that with a lot of mascots and so they've all been online and so I've been (laughs) able to just go online and be like I can google Ronald McDonald commercials from the 80s and, you know, it'll come up with a bunch of like, like a compilation. And somebody's like, I saved these for you. Buddy. Right. I, somebody put it up there for me. So, I mean, I've been using it to do research for my script. Anything you want to learn how to do filmmaking wise, also from pre-production to post, that's available at your fingertips with a search. And 
it's a, you know, speaking of therapy, it's also a place where you can find advice um, on practically any subject or just like, you know, if you're looking for something that's going to calm your brain, like, or something that's just going to make you feel like you're not alone. I remember I went on there about a few years ago. I went on there. I was looking for the soundtrack to a 16-bit video game from the Sega Genesis. Um, and I found a community of people who were all making rock versions and they had the tabs and everything so that you could learn how to play it on actual instruments. Wow. And I was just like, this YouTube is amazing. So seriously, the value of YouTube is incalculable. So go there and get your everything on. Yeah, yeah, I highly agree. And if also if you're like, you know, we're, we often say like DIY filmmaking, shoot with your phone. There are so many people out there oh my gosh. shoot with their phone right now that you can watch just free YouTube videos and learn yes. about what they're doing. I said K1 this week, actually. I said, yeah. Like, you know, um, yeah, so... So like, YouTube. and I, I use it to teach myself to edit because uh, I am not a formally trained Same. editor, but I had to edit something and, you know, YouTube saved my butt. And that is our show. Uh, screenwriting from the Trenches can currently be found on Anchor, Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts, as well as KevinLMartin.com. And since we are a new podcast, we'd appreciate it if you dropped us a like or rated us five stars on whatever platform <coughs> you patronize because... Algorithms. For questions <laughs> for us that we can Sorry. and will answer uh, without sickness um email yeah. me at rob at perspectivemofo.com you can also find us on twitter i am at perspectivemofo k is i am at k underscore tux and these things as well as my youtube channel where i have a digital series how to make a movie for a thousand dollars another thing that you can find on youtube all will be linked in the show notes thanks so much for listening we hope that you will continue to do so now, stop procrastinating. Those pages aren't going to write themselves. Yep. Okay, I uh, hope this becomes one of our uh, staple episodes. Every once in a while, we'll just do one of these therapy episodes. Sounds good. Sounds good.